Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 110 of The Simple Life. That sounds weird. 110, 110 of The Simple Life podcast. Whatever it is, you know what we're doing here. We're, we're moving along every week with another guest discussing another untouched topic within our culture and society. Uh, this week's guest is uh, the first of our four-timer club. Uh, as I think I mentioned previously when we maybe had him on, we're not going to do the whole jacket thing like the SNL. There is no tokens. There is no fancy T-shirt. Although, actually, maybe as we develop as a podcast, I might send out little badges i think that'd be pretty cool um but yeah anyway i digress we'll move on today because i really want to get uh talking to today's guest because there are some uh good revelations that i think we, we we need to discuss there's some interesting topics around the law especially around cannabis and driving that i think needs addressing uh obviously today's guest has been on the podcast sometimes before discussing this topic i think they've advanced quite a bit in this area and have a lot to update us on so without further ado we'll move on to the introduction of today's guest who is a cannabis advocate campaigner and the former compliance director of the cta they are the chairman of the cannabis think tank hemp tank and the founder of the seed our future cannabis campaign they are guy coxall how are you doing brother very good thank you thanks for having us on again simple always a pleasure yeah likewise likewise uh i think we always cover some brilliant topics when uh have you on the podcast and we always end up uh sort of advancing this kind of movement around understanding the laws and the, the nuance of sort of the legislation so i think it's always important to to, to get you back in the hot seat. And to be fair, I enjoy chatting shit with you, so you're more than welcome. <laughs> cool, thanks. Sweet. Uh, I suppose for anybody that maybe hasn't seen previous episodes, uh, I think you were on episode 62 in back in January last year. Uh, could you give us sort of a sort of quick refresher, a bit of an insight as to sort of your story and how you ended up in this position? Yeah, um, I mean, I've been in the industry quite a long time. As you mentioned, I started off in the, the Cannabis Trade Association, um, took on the, the role of compliance director. So I was very interested in, you know, making sure that the industry was self-regulated, that products were what they said on the label and so on. Um, and, you know, I tried working with government departments, the MHRA, the Home Office, etc. Um, and I realised, you know, we weren't getting nowhere, one step forward, two steps back. Um, so after a little bit of consideration, I decided to leave the CTA and go on more of a campaign sort of side of things, uh, which was the development of Seed Our Future. So we've been running for over three years now, time flies. And, uh, yeah, we've, we've done a lot, um, helping not like, you know, all, all, all people who use cannabis for whatever reason, uh, you know, there's no discrimination within how we work with people. Uh, we've been doing a lot over the last year, really helping uh, patients with uh, prescriptions um, for a, a wide range of things. But we do also help people who can't have, have a prescription for whatever reason, whether the medical condition doesn't apply uh, at the moment, uh, or if they can't afford it, or they simply don't want it because they don't want maybe something that may have mold or radiation in it. Ooh, sensational. No, what's the word I was looking for there? Not sensational. Uh, salacious. Controversial. <laughs> <laughs> so, so somewhat, yeah, but I think uh, recent studies are sort of proving that that to be correct. I mean, the vast majority of flowers on the prescribed uh, or by, available via the prescribed system are still irradiated. And yeah, we've seen uh, or self-reported from various consumers that the non-irradiated products as well uh, have yeah, seeds and various issues. And the general kind of gist I'm hearing from the majority of consumers is that it's too dry um, and that the 
but it's quite old. You obviously it was just had to break it up. You can see around sort of the stalk and the centerpiece, like the discoloration showing the uh, amount of time that the product has uh, been in storage. So I think there's some credence to what you're saying there. And I think it's vitally important as well, as you brought up fucking camera, um, as you brought up um, the idea of some people that don't want prescriptions. This is something that isn't mentioned in a lot of these discussions, is that some people are quite aware of the prescription system, but they, for whatever personal reasons, you know, uh, ethical, moral, whatever, uh, choose to not participate in that system, and they shouldn't face criminalization for making informed decision ultimately i think i think another point to consider is also when you actually look at the labeling of uh, medical products um it really just talks about cbd and thc ratios it doesn't go into the the other minor cannabinoids it doesn't go into terpenes mm. flavonoids so you know some people might want to prefer to grow their own product uh, and know exactly how it's been grown know exactly how it's been cured and know you know, th this this product will have a great deal of myrosine, which might help them with insomnia or, you know, uh, it's more specialized, I suppose. And, you know, I think the, the industry has to catch up on, on those aspects. In, indeed, yeah, I think you're correct. There are a lot of the people that have been cultivating their own and being self-sufficient, especially individuals self-treating uh, medical conditions. Um, I think, yeah, they, they become far more informed. And as we're hearing back from the doctors, as I have seen and reported from my own interactions with these clinicians, is they will admit that the consumer or the patient is more informed than themselves. And that is a pretty scary position to be in. And mm -hmm. yeah, I agree the, the labeling is is all over the goddamn place. Uh, it's nice to see there is an internal war happening between the clinics, between some of them that have listened or and not necessarily to my position, but are starting to understand that, oh, if we label it as medicinal, because that's what it is rather than medical cannabis. Um, so it's nice to see that kind of disparity uh, happening between uh, sort of labels. But yeah, mm -hmm. something that you, you draw attention to is obviously the, the lack of continuity of the wording and the language and the recommendations. Um, and yeah, as you say, the, the prescribing of cannabis based on the arbitrary ratio between CBD and THC is a massive, massive oversimplification and misunderstanding of what is actually happening with the science here. So we understand that it is, it is the synergy between the cannabinoids and the terpenes that, that relate to individual effects. We already know from, for all it is quite a poo-pooed industry in the UK, it's been you know excommunicated from homeopathy. Uh, we understand how terpenes and terpenoids um, can have sort of impacts through aromas on 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 the on the body and on your physiological on your physiological systems. Mm. So so we understand that there is something else happening there and so it feels like uh, malpractice may be a bit of an extreme word but it feels very uh uninformed of them to be prescribing going oh that's a 20 to 1 that's a 20 to 1 and yeah one might have a very large amount of lemonine or something like that some people have um not necessarily an allergy towards but uh acceptability that means that they have higher anxiety or they have a negative response to it and so they could be prescribed two different occasions the same ratioed cannabinoids but have two extremely different experiences and obviously the end of cannabinoid systems are as unique as fingerprints so you and i get the same batch we could have two very different reactions it, it doesn't fit into the single symptom relief pharmaceutical model that traditional medicine is so used to i think mm, absolutely yeah. Mm. yeah so um so yeah, one of the biggest things I've been working on over the last couple of years, as you know, is uh, driving.
Um, and we're, there's quite a lot to sort of unpack within this sort of area, um, both for people who have prescriptions and people who don't. Um, you know, there's a lot of discrimination. There's a lot of lack of education around it um, for the, from the people who should have the education, such as the police, the crime prosecution service, uh, the judicial system. Um, so, yeah, um, where would you like me to start on that? Uh, I suppose we, you released uh, a document last time you were here, just just shortly after. Um, so I think we've we've kind of covered that. I'll link below, guys, episode sixty two of Guy's previous appearance, where we discussed the uh, initial creation of this document. Uh, so I suppose maybe catch us up on what modifications have been made to what sort of discoveries you've made since, and a sort of an overview of kind of the cases and people that you've been helping, maybe their outcomes. I think that'd be quite a good good way to cover it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the document that we published last year, which is on our website, um, is a little outdated now. Um, there has been another document which isn't on the website as yet, but we sent it to the Department for Transport last year um, because they had a call for evidence in relation to medical cannabis and driving, and you know whether it caused impairment and so on. So. Um, so sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I went medicinal. <laughs> yeah, 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 sorry, just the, yeah, their, their language, not mine. Yeah, <laughs> why I echo it when I use their language to show that it's like, yes, it's not me saying this. Yeah, it's, it's all medicinal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, baby. So, oh, sorry, uh, I digress, go on. <laughs> that's great. So, so yeah, so uh, this, um, this document we sent to the Department for Transport as part of the call for evidence. We got confirmation that it was accepted by them, but we haven't heard back as yet. Uh, but the, the document did pretty much prove that the law is unjust. It's um, illegal. Um, it, it breaches several human rights laws, uh, and it's just not fit for purpose. So um, that was last year. So since then, we've been supporting quite a lot of cases, a mix of people with prescriptions and without prescriptions. Um, up to now, people with prescriptions, we've got 100% success rate. Um, we seem to be the only people in the country actually supporting these patients um, because, uh, you know, a lot of these patients, once they get arrested and have their bloods taken, um, they're sitting there panicking, waiting for um, a summons to court to come through. Uh, they often contact uh, defence solicitors from around the country. And unfortunately, the defence solicitors are confused by the legislation. So they say, oh, it's going to cost nine or £10,000 to represent you. You're likely to lose your licence and get a 12-month ban, get a criminal um thing against you so so yeah they're not much use uh also the crown prosecution are the same that they're they're confused so delving into it in more depth what i've realized is the crux of the situation so what it is is within the legislation the the, the road Tra traffic act 1988 there's 17 drugs listed Half of those are what are classed as generally medicinal drugs. So these are general prescription drugs like morphine and benzodiazepines. Uh, amphetamine was placed in there as well at a later date. Um, and all of these have like very high levels that you're not allowed to exceed. So when they put amphetamine into the legislation, for instance, um, after they changed the legislation, um, they look at, you know, if you prescribed it for, say, ADHD, you're normally looking at about 20 milligrams per litre in blood. That would be the average amount that you'd be prescribed. But they increased that fivefold. So in the legislation, you're allowed up to 100 milligrams per litre in blood, which is a huge amount of amphetamine. Hmm. 
and and that's really I think to protect the pharmaceutical industry because they want people not to be fearful of driving with their medication, which makes sense. But of course, anybody taking it illicitly can have quite a bit in their system and still pass the test because they're under the limit and not get prosecuted, which, you know, fair enough. So well, it's a quality then, under the law then, isn't it? It is, yeah. But then you've got the other half of the uh, the, the drugs listed, which are classed as um, generally illicit drugs. So these are, you know, MDMA, um, LSD, and cannabis is in there as well. And these all have uh, per se zero tolerance levels. So for cannabis, it's two micrograms per litre in blood, which is a tiny, tiny amount. Um, you could you could be over that just from passive smoking. Hmm. Um, also, because cannabinoids have a lipid nature, they're, they're like oils and they store in the fat cells, they take a long time to release. So what I'm finding is a lot of people are contacting me and saying, well, I had a spliff the night before um, to help me with my sleep, to help me with my insomnia, the next day I get pulled and I'm over the limit. Mm -hmm. And if you have it regularly, you're going to be over the limit all the time. So every medical cannabis patient who's prescribed will guaranteed be over that limit at all times. Mm -hmm. Luckily for them, they have a medical defense, a statutory medical defense in law. So that, what that means is Section 5A of the Act, which is the, the main one used, is the new one, is if you exceed a spe specified level in your blood, then you're open to prosecution, unless you prescribed it for medical or dental reasons, and then you're allowed to exceed the limit. And this is where the confusion is. Over the last five years, or well, seven or eight years, so many, the police are constantly just going through the evidential process of doing a swab. It comes up with THC. Then they take, arrest them, take them to the police station, do a blood test, wait for the results. If it's over the limit, it goes to um, a criminal case and is likely to end in a prosecution. Mm -hmm. But they're missing the point that if you have a prescription, and most police don't even know that prescriptions actually exist, um, that they have a medical defense. Now, what I found really interesting is there's forms that the police have to fill in as part of their PACE, which is their procedural um, their obligations. Mm -hmm. And when you go to an intox room, which is the room where you'll have a health practitioner who will draw blood, they have to fill in a form. It's called MGDDB form. Um, forget the acronym of it, but what it is basically is it's a form and checking that they're following procedure so that they can use it as evidence in a court. Mm -hmm. But there's actually little guidance notes in relation to PACE. And what it says is if somebody is, you know, in the other category of the per se zero tolerance uh, group and they have a, a, a valid prescription, then you shouldn't be exploring a Section 5A offence. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they've got no right really to ask for a swab because they've prescribed it. And all you're doing is uh, trying to identify a preliminary test to see if they have an illicit substance in, in the system. Mm -hmm. If they've already shown a prescription, then they're allowed to have that. So there's no need to do a swab. It's pointless. And then they take them to the blood, uh, to the police station under arrest. And, um, they do a blood test. Now they don't have to do a blood test because if they if they're prescribed, then they have that medical defense. What the what the police are supposed to do is investigate that that prescription is real. 
that they do have a medical defence, that they're following the practitioner's guidance and the manufacturer's guidance. If they're doing all of them, they're, not, they're doing nothing wrong. The only route for the police then is to go under the old Section 4 offence, and that's related to impairment and by being fit to drive. So in that case, what they have to do is a field impairment test or sobriety test, which is getting people to walk in a straight line, touch your nose, things like that. Um, the police very rarely use that because most police aren't actually um, qualified in it anymore because they've made it so easy that all they rely on it. It was, it was 2005, I believe, wasn't it, when Section 5A was made the preference? Yeah. At... 2015 it changed, yeah. 2015, oh, 2015 yeah. I missed yeah. that in my head. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, exactly. Since then, there's been, as you say, no, no reason to it because it's become so procedural that detection then leads to X, Y, Z. It's, it's interesting because they do follow procedure. If you say a pulled over, uh, suspected of either being under the influence of alcohol or any other substance, they swab you, they find, or they breathalyze you and they find presence of it and they take you back to the police station for bloods. If yeah. you state at that point, that you have sort of a needle phobia or some sort of medical condition that means that you cannot give that blood, that gives you, again, a medical defense uh, as to why then you cannot be try, uh, sort of dealt with under that under that charge. So at that point, they have to leave you, go away and search your health records so they can get access to your summary care record to see if you've got this on your file. They can do exactly the same thing for cannabis. Like they should be doing exactly the same thing for cannabis. It's the same procedure, ring the same thing or type into the same thing and they get access to it and they can clearly clearly states on summary of care records that you are actively prescribed and then that should be the first indication of bullshit as you say and they should then seek to go to if they even choose to um section four of the act which is as you said doing uh, a field sobriety test to to yeah. check but obviously by the time they've they've fucked around there's so much time elapsed from the point that it becomes uh, what's the word uh not admissible in court so yeah. it's yeah they're really fucking themselves here I and mean, it is already the guidance is there it is as you say they're just not doing their due diligence and actually going yeah. well wait a minute this person is saying they have a defense it's then the emphasis on the officer to check if that's a valid defense because any action thereafter could be seen as you know what is it they call it in law the fruit of the poisonous tree mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think you know because this is in the guidance in the form they're so used to filling these forms in, they don't look at the guidance. So mm -hmm. they're not really aware of that defence. And because well, they're not, not aware that medical cannabis clinic uh, prescriptions sorry, are uh, a thing, they, they just dismiss it and go, oh, it's just somebody trying it on. They ignore it. That means that it's, a, it's an unlawful arrest and it's false imprisonment, which is a criminal offence. So that means, you know, the, the police can actually be um, prosecuted for that. So it's... <laughs> It, it's, a, it's a really weird one, and you find this isn't only the police that are lacking in education on this, it's defencelesses. So if, mm -hmm. if you're in, in, in custody and you have a right to um, legal representation, they'll, not, they'll normally put you in touch with a, a GP solicitor. Now, I'm often finding that the duty, duty solicitors are saying to them, oh, no, you, you don't have a defence. If, you, if you're over the limit, then you're going to be prosecuted. Now, that's professional negligence yeah. on their part. And this is happening everywhere. And, and, the, and so it's not just the police, it's the defence solicitors. Also, the Crown Prosecution Service don't seem to know. So, so, so I was going to say that that's a, that's a point because for people that are not sort of aware, the way that it kind of works in this country is you're accused of a crime, suspected of one. Police 
grab you, pick you up, they conduct certain evidence, they compile it, they then put the best case together based on two principles. One is the, uh, so sorry, on the principle of uh, what is best and most likely to result in a prosecution. Um, that is then, that data pack is then sent to the CPS, the CPS then run it through two protocols and is this in the public interest and is this prosecutable? Like just statistically, percentage-wise, is it likely to result in prosecution? So yeah, during that point, the police are then, gathering that information but then when they're handing that to the cps the cps is supposed to know what is prosecutable and the fucking law so the fact that they don't immediately throw it back in their face is is very telling yeah yeah i mean that's it you you know you're going to be waiting three to six months on average for a blood test to come through after being analyzed to actually show a result now if that if that patient has shown evidence that they've got a medical defense it shouldn't even go to that it should be what's called nfa which is no further action before it even goes to a charge it should be thrown out but they're not doing that because they're so used to trying to go for a prosecution and then once the cps get a hold of it they'll try and find anything they can they're like a bitch on heat just trying to find a prosecution so what we're finding is that although they've got the medical defense to exceed the limit, they're looking at the um, the guidance from the practitioner and the, uh, the manufacturer. And this is where there's issues. So recently I'm working with somebody who their practitioner, a pain specialist in a medical cannabis clinic, I'm not going to say which one, um, instead of saying which is the, the official guidance, which is do not drive if you feel impaired, he said to the patient, well, he actually wrote a letter to the police saying, I told him not to exceed the limit. Now, that's a real mistake because what he's saying is, I've, I've advised my patient not to exceed the statutory limit. Now, every patient will if that, of his will guaranteed exceed that limit at all times. He's a specialist in pain. He's not a specialist in the Road Traffic Act. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he shouldn't be able to determine what the level is or like, you know, how people shouldn't. He, he's doing the same as alcohol. He's kind of, oh, well, if you've exceeded the limit, you're impaired. And there's actually no correlation between the level in blood and um, impairment, which we can come to in a bit. So, so that, that that's uh, professional negligence from the the clinics. Mm. But then you've also got professional negligence from the um, there's the pharmacies as well, because what you're finding is that there's not standardisation across the board on the labelling. So there's a case I'm working with at the minute, and if if you're uh, prescription uh, comes from Australia, for instance, where it's illegal to drive on it. On the uh, on the actual labelling, it will say "do not drive" rather than "do not drive if impaired." So once you collect all your evidence ready for court, and if you've got a prescription medication that says "do not drive," then you're you're going to get the prosecution based on that because the you know you're you're not following the manufacturer's guidance, even though the general standardisation of guidance in the UK is "do not drive if impaired." So until we get that standardization across the board, they're putting patients at risk. And this is the same with um, practitioners. Yeah. And it's it's one of those quirky little things about this whole medicinal cannabis industrial complex that really kind of bothers me. Um, it's these recommendations. We are not given definitive guidelines. We are not, this is allowed, this isn't. And it's bollocks. So I think on my most recent script, it said avoid alcohol, which mm. is stupid language. Like, what do you mean avoid it? So you tell me I can't, I shouldn't. 
Like, it's not enough. Same with the whole vaporization thing. The law says that the smoking of, ca- of cannabis when prescribed under uh, Schedule 2 of the uh, Misuse MDR. of Drugs Regulations 2001 is prohibited. Yet the guidance you get from your doctor is they recommend vaporization. I've been back and forth with at least three of the prescribing clinicians as to what the fuck this means. And they keep saying without fail, it's a recommendation. We recommend it. And I keep rebutting, well, you recommend to obese people, they do exercise. You recommend to depressed people, they go outside and walk in nature. Do you kick down their doors and lock them in prison cells if they don't go outside or don't commit to losing weight? No, it's a recommendation. I should be able to take it as an advisement and, and, you know, if, if it was then a definitive, you have to, I think, so this is where I think the judiciary is at least one side of hope, because for all that's very corrupted in this country, um, they have to, or are supposed to, and allegedly are held to account to, equality under the law, and to yeah. to really understand the nuance of these legislations and how they stack together. And so I think that the manufacturer's advice, for in some cases, would end up in prosecution. I think if the that was counter to the physicians or the prescribing doctor's advice, that would cause a contradiction and probably an issue within the, the morality and the potential ethics, even if we describe such things describe such things to judges, within them, to them to kind of go, well, well shit, what do we do here? And mm-hmm. so I think it's down, again, it's that postcode lottery that we've been facing with cannabis-related offences in this country for a decade of if you're the right person in the right place and you get a bit of sympathy because of your background or, you know, if, you, if you've got a your promising life in front of you and the judge doesn't want to ruin it, they're likely to not remove your license. But if you happen to be from the wrong class, the wrong group, speak or dress in the wrong way, that's going to mm. be prejud- prejudicial against you. And this is what we mean about needing equality under the law. Yeah. And I think you're really hitting on to some important points here. And um, I know obviously that you have been... Uh, can we can we discuss this? I don't know if we should, with the CIC. That uh, I believe I yeah. under the impression that you may be working with some of their um, one of their groups around sort of regulations and compliance. Well, yeah, I can explain that if you like. Yeah, so I, I'm yeah I was invited to um, do a bit of consultation with the substandards group at the CIC uh, on a paper regarding driving because it's obviously an issue that's coming up regularly amongst the uh, clinics in fact quite a few of the clinics now actually refer uh, their patients directly to me um to help them <laughs> because nobody else seems to understand the law um so so yeah so we have had some really good conversations we've had some really good ideas so like we are working together now on actually solving these issues so le- we're looking at the standardization for labeling making sure that's right um um, Professor Mike Barnes has asked me to uh, develop a paper for the MCCS, which is the Me- Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, um, so that that can be disseminated to all of the um, prescribers to basically give them the correct guidance on what to how to deal with patients in regard to driving. So these things are start- now starting to move in the right direction to create that standardization. Um, also, one one thing that's come up quite a lot is, uh, you know, when 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 you get stopped by the police, uh, you often have your prescription on your phone. Now, a lot of people who are patients um, with a prescription have often been using it illicitly for several years, and you know they don't want to have to pass their phone to the police mm. uh, because the police can he sees it often. So, what I've suggested is that all the all the all the um, the clinics, what they should do is provide a paper-based uh, evidence document. So basically a document from the clinic 
confirming that this person has a legal prescription, confirming that um, wow. they're following the practitioner's guidances do not drive if impaired, mm-hmm. confirming that the medic- manufacturer's guidances do not drive if impaired, and then they've got all that together. Uh, now, Seed Our Future, just before Christmas, we published a, a new document uh, in regards to um, a police notice. So basically, it's basically something you can pass to the police if you get pulled over, basically explaining the law, explaining the medical defence and explaining what the PACE procedures are of the police. Mm-hmm. So if you've got the evidence that you're following all the uh, guidance and unless they have evidence that you're impaired, then they should drop it there and then not even go to a swab and just let you go on your way, like they would do with any other prescription medications such as opioids or benzodiazepines, which incidentally are much more impairing than cannabis is. So I think it's important to hash out uh, some of the procedures in terms of the individual when they're pulled over here, uh, in terms Mm. of knowing their defence and their statutory rights. Um, So there are some circumstances. So say if uh, you were pulled over and the police suspected you of polydrug use, so you were under the influence of multiple substances, obviously they've got to state in their accusation accusation of you when they basically come to you and say that we believe or suspect that you are X, Y, Z. They have to then state within those grounds the substances that they believe that you are under the influence. They cannot, as far as I'm aware, uh, under the law, just generally go, we think you're on summit, let's fucking test it. That's why yeah. when they'll come to the car, they'll go, I smell cannabis, and it'll trigger the cannabis response. Yeah. Or they'll smell alcohol on you, or they'll look at your eyes and go, you know, we think there's maybe a prescription of medications, like a bit too much of, et cetera, as you were saying. And then they will go down that section four, looking at impairment and asking them the questions to to affirm what the situation is. Yeah. Um, so as long as that doesn't occur, if they come to you with a single accusation, a suspicion of you under the influence of cannabis, and you have that lawful uh, defense uh, uh, in that you have an active uh, prescription that you are following the guidance of, you can refuse the swab. You yeah. can refuse bloods. You can, I mean, you're not allowed, you, they, depending on the officer and their level of, of informed nature, you can obviously resist arrest. Um, that is in and of itself a charge. So you do have to then kind of go along with that. Do not obviously start swearing, become belligerent. Again, that is an antisocial behavior. They can do yeah. that uh, if you physically touch them or anything like that. Again, guys, you can get uh, in trouble for assaulting an officer and you wouldn't believe that just literally physically putting your hand on an officer mm-hmm. can be interpreted as assault. And I have seen friends have to defend this in court. Yeah. So You can get up to a year in prison for uh, assaulting an emergency worker. Yeah, so be be very mindful of this. Uh, be polite. Remind them of your statutory rights. Ask yeah. them to seek and follow PACE guidance. Um, they will have procedure. Um, if they're the officers that detain you, obviously most beat bobbies are not very well informed or educated. They're lackeys, for lack of a better word. Once you get to the desk sergeant, they're a bit more higher up. You can obviously request um, to speak to a, 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 I don't know what they call them, is it a duty sergeant or something like that? Yeah, the, uh, the custody sergeant. Yeah, they're then running the, the, the shift um, and you can just basically at each opportunity repeat your statutory rights. Um, like I said, be be polite, um, but you see, so you do not have to submit to to these invasive interventions. You you do not have to. So you have that right. If you choose to do so, remember that you will have a defence in court later on. Uh, if you are interviewed uh, under caution, obviously remember what the fucking police tell you is anything you later rely on in court. Do mention, so reiterate again, you have a lawful medical defence uh, because you have a, an active uh, 
exemption and license in a prescription in the form of a prescription and yeah just be patient and as i think we could maybe move on to discussing now um can i just go back and just qualify some of those statements a little bit because yeah now when i was doing my research i have discovered new defenses in law which are basically what you described there so so you know when 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 they're looking for exceeded limits it's a section 5a offense uh, within the Road Traffic Act, there's also se- Section 6 and Section 7 of the Act. So Section 6 is refusing a preliminary test. So if you p- refuse a, um, a swab, which will show up for THC or cocaine, although there is a new one coming out in no- Northern Ireland at the moment, which identifies a number of uh, drugs, uh, but that hasn't come out into England and Wales yet, um, to refuse that is a criminal offence unless you have a reasonable excuse. So if you have a prescription, you have a reasonable excuse to refuse that, although that hasn't actually been tested in the courts yet. Like this is something that CDAR Future identified and, you know, legally it must work because, you know, there isn't any reason if you've already uh, informed the officer that you use cannabis on a daily basis, you have you do it legally because you've got a prescription. Sorry, then, I'm just going to clarify lawfully, not legally. There. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you you have a right to refuse that. You've got a reasonable excuse because all they're going to do is identify whether you've got cannabis in your system, which they already know because you've already informed them. Yeah. So yeah. it's a waste, a waste of taxpayers' money in th- having to throw that thing away. Mm-hmm. Um, as for blood tests, now a lot of people refuse a blood test. And that's a Section 7 offence, and it has the same repercussions as uh, exceeding the limit. So if if you ex- refuse a blood test, you can get a 12-month ban, criminal record, up to six months in prison, uh, and a fine. So a Disqualification it, of licence as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah for a 12-month ban, yeah. yeah. So you've got to be really careful and decide which way you want to go down the route. So if you've got a medical prescription, you know, if you're happy to take a blood test and a swab, it's actually probably easier to just go along with it if they're going to be difficult and go through that. But of course, taking blood is a is a very invasive procedure. It could be classed as assault. Mm. You know, it causes a bruise. You're basically putting a, a sharp instrument into your arm. Mm-hmm. So there is an op- option that you can refuse that. So as you said before, you know, if, even if you haven't got a prescription, you can refuse a blood test if you've got a medical reasonable excuse. So that's often something like a, a needle phobia or extreme anxiety about um, needles or something or drawing blood. So, you know, if it's going to cause you a panic attack and make you really anxious, you can refuse that. And if you can demonstrate that in a court that you have a like something in your medical notes that shows that you've got a needle phobia or anxiety or uh, maybe an autistic uh, spectrum disorder, um, then that that can qualify and get you off it. But you're still going to have to go through the court process. Where with a medical cannabis prescription, now they can't. If if you've already shown evidence that you're fitting all the criteria for your medical defence, there's no reason for them to even go down the route of trying to prove a Section Five A offence. Mm-hmm. They can only go down Section Four, which is impairment. So they should have already done a field impairment test to see if you're um, impaired in any way, and they should record that on their body cam. Mm-hmm. Now, when you you go to the intox room and they want to take a blood test, you can refuse that on the grounds that it's an invasive procedure and that if they're looking for a section four offense, the level of THC in blood or any other bodily fluid 
is irrele- is irrelevant. You know, yeah, they've yeah. got they've got evidence of impairment, and they can demonstrate that you've got some THC, so that can be below the le- level or above the level through either blood or urine. Then that's acceptable. So what you can do is opt for the least invasive procedure of a urine sample, and they should do that. And that's actually in their forms. This is all in the document on the Seed Our Future website, which everyone is free to download. And I would recommend if you have a prescription, you download that, keep it in your vehicle with a paper copy, if you prefer, of your prescription and a picture of your <laughs> patient. Just make sure it says do not drive if impaired or something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, if it says do not drive, contact me. Um, so, yeah, so that basically backs you up and it should hopefully stop you even getting arrested in the first instance. But that's your um your your medical defenses and your reasonable excuse defenses as per section six and seven which is to do with the tests mm-hmm. sorry i thought i had to elaborate yeah. on no thank thank you for for doing so no i think uh, a very very good point hopefully that will inform uh people of kind of their rights a bit more and, and what to do sort of proceed procedure errorly mm. pronounce that word uh if they find themselves in this in this circumstance and yeah as you say there's there's so many of the the, the police themselves just don't they don't know no. They, they do not know that there is a lawful defense and that's what this is the problem that i'm having I've, i'm working on a white paper for a couple of different groups i'm not, not going to reveal the second one but a cic is the first place that it's going to go um and basically it's trying to understand sort of this binary argument of decriminalization and legalization and really it's got to a point where the language is so wrong and misrepresentative of what is actually happening in terms of the legislation and its impact on individuals and the police themselves are in this artificial binary cannabis is illegal which mm. it's it's not cannabis cannot be illegal it's never been illegal never will be illegal anywhere because it's a neutral object objects are not criminalized they have no nature they have no ability for culpability they cannot be prosecuted put in handcuffs locked in a cage so what societies do and the the law seeks to do is <laughs> criminalize certain activities with these objects uh in a in a a spectrum of lawful nature so legal is is typically binary binary something is either legal or illegal if something is uh illegal but there is legal means in which it can be performed then it falls out of that categorization and into lawful unlawful which is then it's a spectrum of it and then so the the lawful nature of it in terms of when we reference drugs or predominantly especially in this situation cannabis is that it is unlawful to possess cultivate or produce obviously there's a difference between cultivation and production dependent on POCA, the proceeds of crime act um trade uh distribute or sell cannabis without exemption without license or without authorization from the british government so therefore, when the even the cops are stopping, it's, oh, we, it's illegal. There is no such thing as legal medical cannabis. Even that sentence as well falls down. Medical, in the same way that law, law, uh, legal denotes uh, things pertaining to the law. Medical denotes things pertaining to medicine. So, in the sentence of say, like a, a medical prescription is accurate because the prescription is a medical apparatus. So it belongs in the realm of medical, whereas then cannabis is medicinal because it's the object can then be used for medicinal benefit and and and, and value. And so you can see what at every level, the language is so fucked that we can't even begin to have these rational conversations with these uh, uh, institutions and authorities because they themselves are not the, we actually, yeah, the, the, 
nature of the authority plus the workers inside of it that you deal with are so misguided and confused by what is going on with cannabis. And so mm. when we hear it said as, oh, it's illegal this, or it's legal that, or we should legalize this, it's like all of these things miss the subject matter. Cannabis is legal, always has been. It is unlawful for individuals without exemption, license, or authorization to cultivate, possess, trade, sell, et cetera, that we said before. And so that's the thing that we really, I think, you need to, to hark down onto this, is the, oh, the hypocrisy that then creates in law, that if there is the defense for those with the magic piece of paper, mm-hmm. why is it all of a sudden that they shouldn't be tried under Section 5 and they should fall under Section 4? As you spoke of before, the high levels of benzodiazepine, of, of uh, uh, diamorphine, of uh, amphetamines and various other prescribed but also binary illicit drugs as in their lawful uh, under prescription but unlawful without, so become illicit mm-hmm. drugs, that those levels yeah. are so high because of the equality under the law. If then now cannabis can be prescribed uh, as a medicinal, as, as a medicine, then ultimately it, those levels have to reflect that. So yeah. as, as you say, the, the support for the, prescript, uh, the prescribed patients within this space is support for all cannabis consumption when driving. And it, it's not to say that we're going to get rid of it all, but at the minute they're not stopping people with prescriptions and running them through section four. So they're not actually seeking impairment at all. So the mm. police are not looking for people, you know, the, the, the right wing media will be like, you know, these potted up drivers. It's, it's, it's this weird thing that actually, that as you said, there is no association between impairment and detection. And the, the wonderful thing of the medical defense with prescriptions is that the doctor can't tell you you're impaired. The, yeah. author- the authorities can give you an impairment test and deem you to be um, impaired via their standards and be prosecuted for it. But unless you're, d- I was going to say dumb enough, sorry, uninformed enough, naive enough to maybe say one of the following words when pulled over, sleepy, tired, drowsy, uh, impaired, um, you know, out of it, any anything that, that denotes towards not having your cognitive capacity in that moment that's then you in an admission that you are impaired by your medication. But other than that field sobriety test, you cannot be found to be impaired. So yeah. again, it's just trying to get, as you say, that information and education out there. But it's it's so difficult because even as we are in this conversation, we're, we're tripping over language that creates false binaries or, or artificial representations of, of arguments that aren't there. And I think that's where a lot of the bickering and infighting is occurring across the spectrum of the space in that it's, no one is really protected. It's just that they have a lawful defense. And actually, if we truly understood the law, there's a way to um, force a review of it. Yeah, yeah. well, this, this is exactly what CEDAW Future are planning to do. I mean, uh, when when I brought, when I talk about uh, cannabis and driving, a lot of what comes up in, in community groups is, oh, well, you shouldn't be driving if you're on cannabis. You know, you're danger. You, you know, whatever kid runs out in the road in front of you and everything. You know, you've got about a quarter of the driving population uh, on opioids, benzodiazepines, Z drugs, like sleep drugs, mm-hmm. um, things like that, which are far more impairing than cannabis. You have a legal civil right in law to drink and drive up to a level. So you're allowed to go up to 36 micrograms per 100 ml of blood, which is on average about two pints of beer. Mm. So you're allowed to, you have a civil right to, you know, go for lunch, uh, sit and have some lunch, have a, have a pint or two and drive. But if you actually look at the, uh, the Druid report, which was the big European report years ago, and you look at the levels of impairment in relation to cannabis and other substances, 
cannabis is far below the legal allowable level as far as impairment goes. And recent research that's come out has actually shown that within impairment, you've got, um, you know, psychomotor skills. They're the main things. And you find that a lot with alcohol. It impairs your psychomotor skills. It doesn't with, with cannabis. This is why, you know, if you see somebody drunk in the street, they're falling around, falling off the chair, slurring their speech. You don't get that with cannabis. You're still able to walk around and function. Um, there's also your, um, you know, your cognitive ability. It's not, that's not impaired to a great uh, degree with cannabis compared to alcohol. So it's really more your um, mental perception of things. So if anything, you might forget where you're going or what you're going for when you're going shopping, <laughs> or you might, you know, get lost and or take the scenic route. It's much more likely that, you know, it's far less impairing than, than most things. So, you know, although there is a, a risk of impairment, of course there is, and everybody's different. And a lot of it's to do with um, tolerance. So yeah. a lot of these studies, when they've done studies with people on a on a simulated driving thing, a lot of these people that they use are people who've never taken cannabis before. They give them a big joint, sit them in front of this screen, and yeah, of course they're impaired. Mm. But people who have used cannabis for a period of time, they, they've got that tolerance and it's much less effect. So they're actually perfectly fine to drive. Um, and, you yeah. know, I think people instinctively know who use cannabis whether you should get behind the wheel or not. You know, if you're really stoned, you don't even want to get off the sofa, never mind get it behind the wheel. And any, and, and it's the same with, with, as you said, with people with prescriptions. It's up to the individual to decide whether they're impaired or not. And if you're impaired for any reason, whether it's tiredness or flu or um, smoking cannabis or whatever, then you shouldn't be getting behind the wheel and you should have the, throw, the book thrown at you. But for people who are responsible, and this is the key word, as in the new legislation within Malta, it's responsible adult use. If you're responsible, so these people who have used it for insomnia the night before, they're driving the next day, there's no way in hell that they're impaired in any way, but they're still going to get prosecuted and lose their license, lose their job, lose their family potentially. And, you know, that, that that's not right. It's discrimination. Well, yeah, I mean, considering... I basically have the lawful right to set up a fucking volcano in my car, put in a plug adapter into the cigarette lighter and sit there and chuff bags all day long. Yeah. I have that lawful right. It is not then deemed an impairing act or anything like it's it's again, it's the hypocrisy of this. And as, as you said, the responsible use, I think, is something that is missed by this. And it's one of the reasons why I'm trying personally to seek the decriminalization and depenalization of cannabis related individual offenses before we even look at multinational corporate legalization uh so-called legalization was big l because you can't small l cannabis you can't legalize cannabis because as we discussed it's already fucking legal all you can do is use the law to create new legislation restrictions and, and uh, criminal offenses to govern the commercial sale and licensing of cannabis as we look at Canada, it went from five laws to 47 laws, I believe, um, which, again, is not what legalized small L. You know, Pete Tosh was singing about when he was singing legalize. He wasn't legalize it for corporations around the world and the, the fucking <laughs> a cabal of rich white capitalists. That is not what they meant when they said legalize. And it's not what most people mean when they say legalize small L. But the corporates and the fucking the politicians and these venture groups and people like BlackRock and that, they're promoting big L legalization as in proper noun describing of an action within society rather than the action of making something previously illegal legal. Because again, 
saying we can't do that because cannabis is already legal. It's yeah. just that it's unlawful for you sitting at home, buddy boy, to possess it, to cultivate it, to fucking trade it and and, and profit from it. Yeah, there's <laughs> 60 million being floated on the London Stock Exchange. Yeah, but the, the big dichotomy here is actually the scheduling. So you mentioned before the Misuse of Drugs Re- Regulations 2001. On the 1st of November 2018, it was changed to Schedule 2 for uh, CBPMs, uh, which are prescribed. Yeah. So if you have a prescription, then it's a Schedule 2 drug. Mm-hmm. And it's flour. It's like it's, it's, it's flour that you vape, yeah? Yeah. But it still remains as Schedule 1 if you don't have a prescription, even though it's still flour. Yeah. So how can the same substance be in two different schedules at the same time? Remembering that schedule one means it's harmful, highly prone to abuse, and has no medical or, or very little therapeutic uh, value. So they're basically saying that cannabis that's bought on the street or home cultivated is potentially dangerous and is different to what you're getting from a pharmacy. It's not, you know, it's the, not the technology, the, the equipment you can use to standardize that cultivation and using clones so they're all genetically similar, uh, you know, you can produce as good, if not better quality. And I think that's what a lot of the industry, the, the community are saying now that actually, you know, the quality is 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 different. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's that difference between Schedule 1 and Schedule 2. So the thing is, there's actually no legal way that cannabis can remain as a Schedule 1 drug. It, 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 can, it can though, so that it's all part of a little legalese trick. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it started with the 2001 regulations, which were actually passed. Huge, allegedly, fucking sue me, I've got nothing, I'll see you in court. Um, <laughs> uh, was was allegedly passed uh, basically for one statement and for one action, and that was to allow for the authorization of licensing, research, and production of cannabis-based medications for GW pharmaceuticals here in the UK. Because prior to that, the law says under the Misuse of Drugs Act uh, 1971 that a Schedule One drug cannot be uh, a medical substance. It, it cannot. So cocaine in this country is a, a Class A Schedule Two drug, for example, because it has medicinal uh, benefit and value. The UK is actually one of the world's largest importers of air quotes medicinal cocaine. That's a rabbit hole to go dive down, folks. Go make sure you're in a private browser and go figure that one out. Um, but yeah, so it's, as you said, it's this contradiction. So what they managed to do is yeah. use this regulation to then go, ah, no, 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 no. Cannabis that isn't cultivated or produced to a certain standard or within regulations defined by us is then, yeah, it's naturally dangerous. What makes it a medicine is the GMP, the good manufacturing practice, which actually, when you look at it, folks, is a very large con. So they just import cannabis from anywhere in the fucking world. It lands in a building. It then goes to GMP, which is good manufacturing practices. And basically, it's their packaging rules. That's fucking it. It's not been grown specially. It's been grown to the, the specifications of Israel, fucking Dominican Republic, fucking Australia, Canada, fucking Zimbabwe rules and regulations. And it's just it's how it's then packaged. That's the lie. That's what makes it medicine is because it's the special packaging and the special permission from the doctors. And so that's the contradiction of it is they're taking what is accepted, air quotes, accepted by the establishment as a dangerous drug and in limited capacity, or one could say through exemption, authorization, and license, turning it into a prescribable medication. So it's mm-hmm. it's that that trick that they've done, and they get to ex- they get to reiterate that that when they say cannabis 
Uh, this is why, again, I'm fighting against the term medical cannabis, capital M, capital C, because that's a proper noun that then means uh, CBPM, which is a cannabis-based medicinal product designed for human consumption. That is then regulated under MHR regulations in the fucking 2001 yeah. Act, as we said before. So it's, they do all this legalese bullshit, but actually when you get into what it says in two, the 2001 Act, uh, it says that a Schedule 2 CBMP is and or a preparation of cannabis. So it's it's stating in their own legislation that CBPM, Schedule 2 Cannabis, is just cannabis, which is in Schedule 1 Cannabis. So the reason we are being prosecuted is not because of the lack of medicinal value or acceptance or any of that shit. It's because we don't individually have the exemption, the authority, or the license to get away with the, the, act, the, the actions related to cannabis. And I think that's where the focus needs to be for the entire movement in the UK is to win back those actions. Fuck having to pay tax and be licensed and regulated by the corporate system in the same machine that has you know, demonized us for decades, vilified us and raided us and called us fucking druggies and gaslit us in every medical setting. Hmm. We should have that initial freedom and liberty. Then we can have this conversation about fucking it's it, high streets and whatever else. Because as I said, we've seen under decriminalization, depenalization models, the coffee shops in Holland, the clubs in Spain, you know, the compassion networks under Prop 215 in California, these were all on depenalization, decriminalization models. And they were, when you speak to the legacy people around the world, the best that they've seen. Because when legalization gets involved, the community the culture gets lost it then yeah. it's then it's gentrified it's whitewashed it's about fucking venture capital it's about quarterly re returns and fucking shareholder in in, in uh interest mm. rather than the actual liberation of the individual yeah. consumers of cannabis well the, the, there is actually two key elements which could change this and actually create a decriminalized or depenalized uh, model and that is um the two factors are, firstly, that cannabis has to be considered medical, but not just that, but also essential. Because everybody's got an endocannabinoid system. That's, 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 a, that's a medicinal, not medical in that instance. But I agree with the sentiment, just not right, the language. So, yeah. so because, because it, can, it affects our endocannabinoid system and basically reg regulates the same as our endocannabinoids that we produce naturally, then it can prevent and treat virtually all diseases. So it's got to be classed as essential. Within UN legislation, when they look at essential medicines, which have to be available by the state to people who need it, they're normally looking at morphine and um, methadone, things like that, for pain. Now, we know now with the scientific research that cannabis outcompetes these uh, opioid-based painkillers without the side effects, without the addiction, without the risk of death. And, um, you know, it actually helps get people off these uh, alternative medications. So it has to be classed as essential. If, if we can accept that cannabis is essential and all use of it can be medicinal, even the recreational use, so you might be using it um, for social anxiety to go out with your friends and communicate and it helps you relax if you've got an anxiety disorder. So that, that recreational use could be considered medicinal because you can get benzodiazepines and things to do the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if all use has to be medicinal because it, it reacts to our endocannabinoid system, whether we want it to or not, then we have a right to access an essential medicine across the board. And the, mm -hmm. the state is liable to make sure that that provision is there. Now, since 2018, when the law changed, it's only been available 
via private prescription, not on the NHS. In fact, the the, the NHS register set up well, in this... 2021 hasn't got any patients registered on it. Uh, to just to clarify that, it's the, yeah, there's no flour <laughs> products or oil products have been prescribed yet. There is nearly twelve. Yeah, there has yeah. been twelve thousand licensed uh, prescriptions for Sativex, Epidiolex, and is it Dravenol? I think it is. Yeah. Okay, so then you need to go into the argument of the entourage effect because these are either synthetic or they're isolates and they don't mm-hmm. have the full benefit of the plant. Uh, so only really a full spectrum oil extract or flour is actually applicable as an essential medicine because well, that would be the endocannabinoid system. And this is where you fall into a bit of a problem that the pharmaceutical industry are having in that in order to make it a medical product, it has to. Be, it can be a cannabis botanical extract, but then it has to be into some sort of pharmaceutical product. Once it's then, I mean, you can then the process can, I suppose, in some ways, make it, which is what they're trying to figure out. But it's the delivery systems that are a way of then getting around this, so they can patent that, and then that's their. Uh, intellectual property but so it's, yeah they, because of the way that any flower could be prescribed through the clinics and, and provided with the the oils as well uh, oil as well through tinctures granted a lot of them are very very watered down you're not getting actual full feckle um mm-hmm. um that you could sort of produce quite easily at home sort of thing um and i think it's the the pharmaceutical sector they are only wanting these cbpms these cannabis based that's the important thing the cannabis based so they're based on cannabis so that language allows them to produce fully synthetics so they can use fucking uh, scras fucking synthetic cannabinoid receptor antagonists any multitude of them that they can make yeah. so that can then be classified as as this and then doesn't need to be but they can't make a full botanical extract without then doing something else or adding something else to it that then makes it a CBPM, yeah. and I think that's the issue that the industry is having right now. Is it's just mm-hmm. basically a cash cow of the clinics prescribing as much flour and whatever products as they can until the system catches up and goes wait. If then cannabis is a, a medicine under these current regulations, it cannot be in its floral form. It has to be in a prep- preparation form. Right. And- yeah, but this is the age-old argument, isn't it? Of uh, you know, like what 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 is a medicinal product? And you look at the pharmaceutical industry; it's all isolates or synthetics mixed together into a commercial product, which can be um, patented. Now, this has always been the issue. This is why cannabis has always been unavailable as a medicine for what, at least like the last fifty to hundred years, because um, it can't be patented because you've got five hundred compounds all working synergistically together. So, if people consider that an essential medicine and it's not available because the NHS won't allow it, uh, and the only way to get it is if you've got the money to get it, or you've got a condition that will um, allow you to to get it. Mm. And that's discrimination, and it's a breach of uh, your human rights to health and autonomy. Mm-hmm. Now, the UN have, have, have basically said this, that any state who can't provide an essential medicine to the populace uh, has to either decriminalise or depenalise that so that it can be used mm-hmm. for personal use, possession, and cultivation. So that's the argument that could be used mm-hmm. in the future to actually change the law. Under a human rights argument. Yeah. It's a, it's a good argument. It's a very good stance. My fear would be the interpretation of the opposition would then go, oh, it's a medicine, is it? Yeah, you're right. You're not allowed it. In the same way, opium, right, used to just be available. Used to just fucking grow. People traded it. It was available. Then the birth of the hypodermic needle, 
um, in like the mid 1800s, uh, the discovery of making it water soluble, etc., and other preparations led to the creation of heroin. Um, heroin then became a brand product released by Bayer, uh, was then openly sold and, and, and available. Um, this then led into eventually, obviously, we've got like fentanyl and carfentanyl now, and it just it took what was quite a benign thing, the act of smoking opium. You know, you read these sensationalist stories written 200 fucking years ago about opium dens and whatever through the lens of modern prohibition. And you understand that actually maybe the, it's not this hellscape they were painting it is. They just disliked these behaviors, these actions, associations and culture of these people that chose to consume something that they they didn't. Do, do you know what I mean? And so it went from them being a cultural thing of you could just use opium to now then think of the demonization of people that are accessing opium do you know what i mean you're either and again it's that false binary you're either a dirty homeless street addict dangerous criminal or you're a prescribed patient and my worry is that they can, they're trying over this over a longer period now to do the, the, the opium and take it from the people and then going okay yeah it is a medicine but only in these specific circumstances when we give it because it just it's too powerful of a disruptor is cannabis that if we actually gave it to the people as a drug for themselves, it disrupts so many other industries. Do you know what I mean? The technological capacity of cannabis, if it is then cultivated on mass, you know, there's your carbon sequestration. So there's your tax, your carbon tax economy gone and all of that fucking idea, you know, petrochemical fertilizers gone, you know, fucking uh, petroleum based fucking, uh, fuel's gone you know lithium battery capacity uh super capacitors and that gone uh textiles and everything else with cotton production you know what i mean it's it's such a disruptive force else that yeah. if they actually give it to us without them and so i feel that they're gonna go all right it's a medicine now and you've got it and this is why they've got our oh, cbd and they've slowly gone the long way of trying to make that a medicine as well and they're just trying to pull the parts out of it and leave it so it's just a bunch of dirty druggies in a field going we deserve to get high and they'll have taken every optic and every approach away from us. Do you know what I mean? And this is what I fear is is their responses then. Well, yeah, it's always medicine. So that's why I, I, I really try and refrain from it because some people... We try, yeah, I mean, we try, it's, we try, it's also spiritual. Like, you know, there's, there's lots of different areas and lots of different human rights acts that mm. can also support that. With, uh, but the, thing, the, the point is that, the you know, in, in, in the law, you know, it's supposed to be available if it's essential to you, if you, if you believe that, you know, you need this for whatever reason, then you should have access to it. And if the state can't provide access to it, then you have a right to be able to produce it yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you should be able to share it through a club model. Um, so for people who maybe have a disability where they're not able to cultivate their own medicine, uh, then they should be able to access it through a, like a community group, uh, such as a, the club model. <laughs> yeah yeah that's, so, so, yeah i mean it, it, it's it's it, it's some points to consider i think mm. um as, as you say this can also be re replicated as well in the driving uh legislation although you know we d there's no need to decriminalize cannabis and driving per se but what we need is the law to be in line with Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which is the right to a fair and impartial trial. So because they rely entirely on a blood test, which has no correlation to impairment, and we now know that, and there's plenty of global evidence to support that, and the fact that it doesn't impair as much as most things, mm -hmm. then what we need to do is get cannabis removed entirely from Section 5A of the Act for both people with prescriptions and without, and have it where it stood originally, where it was in Section 4. And that would create a pl level playing field across for everyone. So basically, the police would 
have have to in, have to prove in, impairment to be able to secure a conviction. Mm-hmm. So that would make a level playing field for everyone, and that's what we're pushing for. And I think we could do that through a high court judgment or judicial review, looking at it from a human rights perspective, but also the evidence to back it up. There's no evidence that we can find that it causes fatalities on the roads or hasn't done since the change in legislation in 2015. Uh, it isn't a risk to the public. It isn't a risk to people's own themselves and there's no evidence to show that the blood level has any correlation to impairment so it's not a just legislation it needs to be changed and i think that can happen in in quite a short period of time and it's mm. something we're working on but again it's all to do with money isn't it so yeah. you know see, see that future i mean I, I all the people i support with court cases i don't charge them you know i i work full-time supporting Patients and people without prescriptions all the time for their court cases, for complaints against different organisations. And we do do that because we love the plant and we love the community and we want to respect and help people with their rights. So we, we don't ask for anything for that. But, you know, if we're going to look at something like a, a high court judgment or a judicial review, we need some funding for that. So, you know, anybody out there who's maybe been affected by this sort of thing or is worried about being affected by this sort of thing and maybe would need our help at some point in the future, you know, think about that. And maybe, you know, if you do have a little bit of surplus money running around, you know, and you want to give a donation to Seed Our Future, it will really help us to be able to carry on doing what we're doing because it's getting more and more uh, chaotic. We're getting more and more cases. I mean, I've got 10 to 15 cases at the minute I'm running on. And, uh, you know, only so much time in the day. So, yeah, like, um, you know, we need to do something bigger, like a judicial review, which we can, you know, mm. get all in one go. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and I think it, it's entirely that. It's that it needs to be evidence and not ideological. And mm. we're at a point now where this, the evidence far outweighs the antiquated ideology uh, surrounding this. You raise a very valid point uh, around the approach of this. It's something I'm, again, trying to get people to understand around this <laughs> artificial binary debate of legalization, decriminalization, is that there are already a myriad of laws and legislation in place that regulate human behavior. So... My ideal stance, obviously, if I woke up tomorrow and I was prime minister, um, first of all, I wonder how the fuck I got there. Uh, but but what I'd be looking to do is... Be an improvement. <laughs> I, I can do any better than that. I mean, fuck, yeah. Um, but yeah, if that was the case, if I woke up tomorrow with, with that power and that ability and I could just go to parliament and go, well, this is the fucking crack and this is what we're doing, um, I would deschedule cannabis as a plant from current legislation so that until it is set on fire and consumed as a drug it is dealt with as a plant it is no different in the same way that you wouldn't be arrested for your tomato plant leaves yet if you then boil them down and made it into i think it's cyanide you can make in from it then you've made uh, you've done something it's that point there's then an issue and then if you do an action with that that's then the problem and i think that's where the legislation for this it should begin if it has to begin at all. So the, that means the cultivation production of as much cannabis, many cannabis plants as you want at home. Yeah, the emphasis and the assumption of the law should always be that you are just going to do something benign with it. In the same way as if they see you growing a fuck ton of potatoes, they don't think you're going to go take on McCain and try and become the chip king of the world. Do you know what I mean? You're just left to your own fucking devices. That's what I'd like to see there. If then you are you know, commercially profiting from large sales of it, 
then that's a tax issue. You're avoiding tax. That's got nothing to do with cannabis. You'd be dealt with under the tax law. If you were then, you know, making it into a fucking weapon and harming people, that's then assault or murder, etc. There's charges there. So in the same way with antisocial behaviours, we already have this in place. So if you're then walking through a fucking kid's playground smoking a fat joint, you can be dealt with as an antisocial behavior. It's got nothing to do with the cannabis. We need to get cannabis removed from all of this shit. It's the individual actions and behaviors of, of people. That is the only thing that matters here. If we can get rid of this, the, this idea of an assumption that cannabis consumers are bad people, criminal, dangerous, just for consuming cannabis, which, by the way, is not unlawful in this country, you, you, you're lawfully allowed to consume as much cannabis as you want. You just lawfully can't possess it. It's a paradox. You can be as high as you want, but you you cannot lawfully get that high. Um, and then obviously, like you say, if you get behind a vehicle or whatever else, there are then again other laws that come into effect. So the minutiae of the legal apparatus that we already exist and uh, exist within and operate under in this country can regulate cannabis's actions. So my, my idea would yeah be to deschedule the plant and then would be to decriminalize and depenalize immediately that day any of the individual actions with it under the current legislations. Then open up a window of 18 months to two years where there is a de facto, where it would be de jure, I suppose, it would be de jure decriminalization, which means that it would sign into legislation a cessation, a pausing of all criminal convictions, all arrests and, and investigations into people for cannabis-only offences. Then over that period, allow clubs to flourish, coffee shops that are under non nonprofits, communities like interest companies and and organisations that are investing that money back in. That there is obviously money being made from the sale of cannabis, but the profits are paying for salaries, are paying for the uptake to keep the building, reinvesting into the community, etc. Um, and just study those models, create unbiased fucking. Uh, boards and committees to study what is happening, actually observe the culture decriminalized for a couple of years, see what it actually looks like, what it actually wants, then create a, a, a committee from the best of those people that have risen over the two years that are community champions, put them on a board and work with them to create the then next level of legislation and regulation for commercial sales and access to allow the creation of the Budweiser's, the McDonald's, the Googles of cannabis size companies. But at the first instance, the people who have been criminalized, demonized, vilified for decades, we are entitled, and I know that's a, a very, uh, what's the word, uh, controversial term these days, but no, we are a fucking entitled to be the first to benefit from the secession of our criminalizing. We shouldn't have our culture stolen from us and co-opted and sold back to us. It's, it's just a fucking farce of an idea. And so I think you're hitting on something really valid there that, again, we're not wanting to just be allowed to break every law and do whatever the fuck we want. We want to be able to follow the same laws as everybody else and be welcomed back into the fold, be re-enfranchised with the society and the culture that we live in. And it's to the benefit of fucking everybody. And as you say, like, yeah, in Section 4, you wouldn't have people driving with fucking huge fat bats. I mean... Well, maybe you would, because if they pass it with an impairment test, do, yeah. do you know what I mean? It was exactly. It's it would then be everything would be actually evidence based and relative. So yeah, yeah vote for me for PM. I guess. No. <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, descheduling is the, the best option. I mean, in fact, really, the the complete dismantling of the Misuse of Drugs Act, nineteen seventy one, and the mis uh, the MDR, because you know. What, until they actually recognize the harms associated with so-called legal drugs like alcohol, like tobacco, like sugar, 
you know, which cause more harm and destruction within our society into personal health than all the other drugs combined, until they appreciate that, then, you know, we should have a level playing field in that regard. You know, you, you have personal autonomy to be able to harm yourself through, you know, overeating or overdrinking alcohol or, you know, smoking tobacco, what whatever it is, you know, that, that's your that's your civil right. And, you know, it shouldn't be any different with other substances, especially now all the, the you know, the, the research into things like uh, MDMA and psilocybin, you know, you know, oh, it'll mess with your brain. It's the same old ideology. And it's like, well, actually, no, now they're finding it helps with your mental health issues. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's it's a big, big subject that needs to be packed down. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree that descheduling is the answer. But whether we get that or achieve that, especially, I think, you know, we, we have to do what we can while we still have a Human Rights Act, because that's going to be disappearing <laughs> soon. So, you know, if, if, we, if there are human rights challenges that can be done, that could lead to even a halfway point for now. Um, maybe maybe that should be uh, taken on. I think just, just getting people to not guilty and stand and try, in, in that's what we need for too long. It's You were saying before about with the system, the cops are so used to going, oh, it's over the level, and the person admits guilt. If you admit mm. guilt in this country, they don't need to provide any fucking evidence. They don't need to do anything. You've admitted the charge. Therefore, they don't need to provide any. Okay, it doesn't matter if they've fucked a procedure. It doesn't matter how much they've screwed up or they've, they've fucking set you up. You admitted the fucking thing. It's on record. You're done. It then moves to mitigation. And that's another aspect that uh, I think that you can maybe touch on that some people don't sort of understand is that on principle, yeah, for all means, stand for fucking not guilty for various offences. But in most instances, probably will end up being being sort of convicted for it unless you have that solid defence and case. And even then, there's still going to be potential uh, roadblocks with the judiciary and the, the, the general system as it kind of comes to opposition of your stance. But if people then can mitigate the damage and the harm that's done to them by uh, pleading guilty and putting in mitigating circumstances, can you maybe ex explain that a little bit better for, for some people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've got to think about what guilt is. Guilt is uh, mens rea, criminal intent. So if, if you criminally intended to do something um, and, you know, you, you think that could lead to harm to yourself or others, then, you know, you're guilty. But if you disagree with that, then you should really challenge it, you know. And and although they try to give you like a third off, it's like you know you go to a court these days and it's got like big posters saying, "Claim your third off today of your conviction by pleading guilty." Mm. So, <laughs> it's an oxymoron, you know. Like don't 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 yeah. fall for it unless like you know. I mean, there are always ways. I mean, you know, defenses for people without prescriptions, although you don't have a medical defense in law. There are still ways around these things, you know. That you know, if, if the police haven't followed procedure, so if they've stopped you for something that you know for example um they stop you because you're not wearing a seatbelt, right now if the police stop you because you're not wearing a seatbelt, and if the issue is maybe there's some dirt in your seatbelt and it's not pushing in properly there's a fault with the seatbelt, and you've had to pull that back off and you're looking for somewhere to pull in safely so that you can have a look at it and just see if you can sort it out yeah mm -hmm. but the police have pulled you in in the meantime now once the police pull you if they say they've they're, they're pulling you for a, a moving traffic offence, which is not wearing a seatbelt, right? If they don't ask you why you're not wearing a seatbelt, so you don't get the opportunity to explain your reasonable excuse for not wearing a seatbelt, then they've breached pace. That means stopping you from the first instance is unlawful. 
If that now leads to a swab and an unlawful arrest, which is followed by false imprisonment, then they've breached pace. And that means even if you refuse a blood sample or you get a blood sample and it's above the limit, it doesn't matter. You'll win your case because of the police not following procedure. There's also, like, once you get the blood test, now that blood test is taken, you're, you're often given a sample as well. If you're not given a sample, they haven't followed procedure. But if, if they have, that, that might go into the fridge in the police station, maybe with their lunches and things like that. It might get forgotten about for a bit. They might do something wrong with the labelling. It might get passed from pillar to post. Then it has to be transported to the lab. Then it has to go through all the process of the lab. So you need to follow all the procedures till you get that blood sample result. If those procedures haven't been followed or if the lab haven't like um, calibrated all of their equipment properly, which has been seen recently, um, then that evidence can't be used in, in a court. So that, you know, it's sometimes actually better to plead not guilty and actually, you know, see if you can find any procedural things uh, and, you know, and, and take the bet really and like hope, hope that you win. But, you know, I mean, we're, we're actually writing a book on the on this subject at the moment, which I was hoping to have nearly ready now, but unfortunately I've got so much, uh, so many cases I'm working on at the minute, it's, it's a bit on hold. But sometime this year, hopefully in the next few months, uh, this book will be published and that will go into, you know, what to do if you're stopped, what your rights and responsibilities uh, as a cannabis user are, what your defences are, how to uh, represent yourself in a court, um, how to prepare for your court case, uh, even how to claim compensation from the police if you feel that you've been unlawfully arrested or falsely imprisoned. So it will be a really good book and it will be useful for everybody who uses cannabis. Uh, whether you're prescribed or not. Um, so, yeah, that, that is in the works. But, you know, if, if people do get stopped, like, you know, feel free to contact us, our website, seedourfuture at mail.com, you know, send us an email if you've been pulled and we'll do our best to try and help you and, and find a defence for you. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, we're, we're always there to help people. So, um, you know, utilise us. Hopefully, uh, we're, we're developing training at the minute for, uh, for the police. So, um we're working in conjunction with uh, Global Cannabinoid Solutions to develop an online training course for the police uh, throughout the UK, <laughs> which will hopefully be every uh, police force throughout the UK. So that will educate them on the legality of medical cannabis, but it will also go into the driving laws and everything. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to also disseminate that to the Crown Prosecution Service, to defence uh, legal firms around the, around the land. Uh, but we're also developing maybe training for, um, you know, we're having a lot of problems where um, housing associations are threatening to evict people for using their medication, uh, social services, employment, all these different things. So we're, we're looking at a range of education. It's all about education, really, at the end of the day. Uh, so if we can educate people and get them to know and understand the situation, hopefully that will stop all of this discrimination happening. But that's really in the realm of prescription holders, and it doesn't do a great deal for um, non-prescription users at the minute, unfortunately. But, you know, we're hoping that we've, we'll keep fighting and uh, we'll get there in the end. But it's a, it's a long game. Yeah, I, would, I wonder if there's ways to, against procedures, all of this bloody legal crap, it's all procedures, it's all very bureaucratic and, and very cold and callous paperwork. Uh, I wonder if there's a way to figure out, to protect people within housing associations and whatever under an assumption of their use. 
um, because the assumption by the housing association is that their unlawful cannabis consumption is recreational. It's drug use. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's and uh, yeah. I wonder if there's a way then to get it recognised as something else. Um, because then it would fall out of because it's the terms and conditions. I mean, this is if you look in your lease. So some landlords do forget to include it. So do check over your fucking rental uh, agreement because if they've not included it, they, they will uh, punish you or remove your tenancy for for drug use. Then technically they can't punish you for it because it's not in their contract. Well, I mean, they can obviously ring the cops on you or whatever else, but uh, they then can't withdraw the the contract from you for violation of the contract because you didn't violate the contract. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hoping is, uh, again, last year we published a document about the Equality Act 2010, uh, mainly for prescription holders. Um, it was Drug Science actually contacted us last last summer, and there were like patients who were being refused entry to festivals and so on. And um, so we put together a document in relation to the Equality Act, uh, basically proving that, you know, to stop somebody using their medical device to administer a, a medical a medication in public is a, a breach of their um is discrimination relating to a disability under the equality act so we put that together that's helped a lot of people now actually and all of the festival organized throughout the country have uh, received this document and it's on their the um, website so now hopefully people shouldn't have any problem using cannabis at festivals not that it's normally that big a problem anyway but what that will do is it, it creates education amongst the organizers that you know it's used medicinally uh, but it's also helping to get break down the barriers of stigma and create normalization so people are now using our document in pubs so you know you've got people vaping in pubs you've got people vaping at football stadiums um you know all, all sorts of different places theaters so you know that will create that normalization that will get rid of stigma throughout society and that should have an effect on people who don't have prescriptions as well, because there will be more understanding that, you know, it can be used in these different ways. And yeah, so, yeah it's, it's not it's not good enough, but it's it, it helps, I think. You're operating within the space and the, the sphere of influence that you have currently, and that's commendable and, and to be sort of respected and, and you know, like applauded, to be fair, um, because you're having an active impact on the... I'm going to fucking strangle this camera. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, sorry. It's going to slowly winding me up over the course of this fucking podcast. Um yeah, you, you, and your efforts should be sort of commended because the space that you're operating in means that every day or every week you're you're impacting somebody's life directly. You're giving them their autonomy back. You're giving them um, an education and an awareness of their inalienable rights, and to to actually then have the confidence to go out and then champion and stand and advocate uh, for, for for cannabis. And I think that's then a brilliant thing you're also then showing with each action the hypocrisy the fallacy the fucking stupidity of the legislation in this country the how a magic piece of paper means that a prescription consumer can consume as much as they fucking want they can consume while they're driving and it's absolutely fine but somebody that yeah last week i smoked a I smoked a joint and had an edible and then i went to the gym this morning and it's sweating out of us and i got caught and it's the this the science doesn't oh my god sorry to anyone just listening to this this is me freaking out because my camera is just turning on and off and on and off and on and off <laughs> um yeah so i think that again is brilliant awareness and that's something that 
we're not seeing in this artificial binary of medicinal versus adult use. Um, a lot of the medicinal sector organizations are purely medicinal focused and they're almost predicated on not being adult use. Whereas then to see someone like yourself running an organization that, yeah, I suppose for, for clarity, I'm a part of, um, in all transparency, you know, I'm a sort of part of that, uh, that it is doing this work to, work in both camps as it were to to get rid of this line this binary to show that there is no difference it's just that we they're trying to give us very specific language to use in protection but it also creates alienation whereas actually what you're showing is not just use the fucking law and you already have that right you don't need to be oh no it's only medical this or medicinal that no 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 you are prescribed cannabis therefore you have a lawful right to consume that cannabis as long as you follow the guidelines as you said of the practitioner of the manufacturer um yeah then you have that lawful defense and i think that's again something that really fucking needs to get into the heads of, of the 20,000 script holders out there, because I suppose myself included, um, you can act as a, your actions are a form of activism moving forward. If you want to sit in that pub for the fucking beer garden and vape away, then yeah, you fighting for that right earns everybody else that fucking right. So this is the thing of it again, is we're not done in the right way and done with humility and honesty and transparency everybody can fight in every direction widen this bubble from the ground that they're standing on today we don't need to go and create some artificial frontline battlefield over here through decrim or legal or what it's these are like i said artificial constructs that are not fully hashed out in order for us to actually be able to debate and discuss them with any reason or, or, or meaning so yeah, bravo, yeah I, think, I think everybody has a responsibility to do their bit you know and like in directly or indirectly and you know if you've got a prescription, you know, you're very lucky. You, you know, you, <laughs> a lot of people, like, you know, would, would love to be in the position to be able to afford it or have a, have a condition that it can be prescribed for or, you know, fit the criteria. And, you know, now that you've got that, you need to educate people. You use that. A lot of people tend to hide that they've got a medication and, you know, they're hiding from their like landlord and everything. And it's like, don't hide, explain it to them. Use our documents, you know, print them out, show them to them, explain that, you know, no, this is no different than any other medication, you know. It's, it's exactly the same as an inhaler, I think, is the way that I yeah. try and get people to get their heads around it is at any point you, no one can come up to you and go, why are you using that inhaler? It's just not a fucking thing in our etiquette, in our in our law, anything. It's just not a done practice. Do you, do you know what I mean? And it's, it is, again, it's, it's drawing it because of the the fact that cannabis is so widely used unlawfully or without license exemption or uh, authorization that as it goes more into this medicinal fear the the, the the medical apparatus and the the, the 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 field of it the more it's drawing attention to how stupid the rest of it looks that you go oh, somebody just driving down the street popping benzodiazepine and you think of that, and then it's like, yeah, it's absolute, absolutely fine. You've got no issue with that. And you, you then think of, again, anybody anywhere using heroin. It's just like, it, it, started, it tears it all down. It just shows that it's just a fucking farce that these are neutral, uh, fucking inanimate objects. They are incapable of good or bad. They just exist. And we come along and we do the fucking thing with it. And that's the thing that should be at any point fucking judged, not necessarily lawfully or legally, you know, dealt with, but in terms of then uh, measured, 
is are you responsible with it are you you know being a dick in the same way that we don't judge people for sitting in the beer garden having a nice couple of pints but the guy with his shirt off five or 15 pints deep screaming like a prick then do you know what i mean that guy's not representative of the rest of the alcohol consumers and again responsible adult use yeah yeah i think that's that's the the crux of it but the responsible thing needs to come down to again the individual have you just completely died now (laughs) i think so Oh my god! Uh, I'm still here. Uh, I'm just gonna keep fighting with my camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's it's responsible use, but then the response needs to not be governed or regulated under law. Um, it already is. Do you know what I mean? Was we were saying about being if you're louder in you're causing a public nuisance, that's an arrestable offence. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? If you're being violent in public or whatever, again, it doesn't matter what the substance you might be on is you are arrested for the violence that you are committing. Yeah, I mean, or dri- driving while you're tired, you know, that's impairment. That's a Section 4 offence. doesn't have to be a substance-related, or it can be a mobile phone, or you can be, like, your music can be too aggressive, and that could change your, like, cognitive abilities and make you impaired, potentially. So, you know, it's, you know, yeah, it just needs a bit of common sense and a bit of logic applied yeah 100 percent. i mean i've argued in the past about tobacco um in the if you then are a regular even if a regular tobacco consumer if you're then first thing in the morning that's your first cigarette and maybe you slept for like 12 14 hours you, you're gonna get that backy rush as we call it in the north that kind of tobacco you yeah. kind of feel of lightness of you're kind of a bit more flustered for a, a couple of moments yeah but what changes that and makes you able to drive tolerance through repeated use it's exactly the same with cannabis. True, very true. Sorry, I'm just under my desk fighting with this fucking cable. <laughs> That's okay. Oh my god. I don't even think I'm gonna edit this out. I'm gonna leave it in the fucking podcast. So sorry, folks, you can listen to this. I have no idea why it stopped working. Oh, this is so annoying. Oh. So what else are you working on, guy? Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I've been, as I mentioned briefly, uh, yeah, I've been supporting people with all sorts of issues. So uh, I've got people who are being threatened with being kicked out of their home with kids because they use their prescribed medication. Uh, I've got a lad with uh, issues with a hospital where, you know, they wouldn't allow him to use his medication in a hospital, which is weird. Uh, and that's basically, had you know, having operationally ill and having to walk like 10, 15 minutes through a hospital out into the freezing cold and wet to use his medication and come back in, which was making him more ill. He was missing appointments with consultants. And uh, their reasoning was that it was a breach of the uh, um, the smoking regulations for the, the the hospital, which is rubbish because it's not smoke and it's uh, it doesn't fit within uh, the vaping um, regulations because it's a medical device. Uh, and also, um, they said it. Uh, the, the fire guard said it could set off the fire alarms, which is ridiculous because it's vapor. So. Like discrimination, um, like driving one recently. Um, when he was in the back of his van, his girlfriend, uh, who he was with when he got arrested, was uh, heavily pregnant. And the police said to him in the van, you know, if your if your girlfriend had already had the baby, we'd be contacting social services and get, get your child taken away from you. This is before the child's even born. And he's saying, what, for taking my medical prescription? You know, this is how 
mental it all is, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many instances. I mean, I'm going to have to write, you know, all of this in the book, really, but you, you'd, you'd be shocked and surprised at the amount of abuse and discrimination, even for people with a legal prescription, never mind us people who have been campaigning for years who don't have uh, access to such a prescription. So um, it's almost like they seem they seem to be hitting, getting the worst of it at the minute, which is really odd. It's almost, uh, but it, it's good because in a way, because it, it, you know, we can create all our education programs around that and, you know, and, uh, you know, sh show the, the severity of these issues and how, you know, stupid they are. So and that, that's got to help move us forward uh, with our campaigning. Yeah, uh, I agree. I was listening, but I'm still fighting with this technology. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I have no idea what is going on with my camera. I cannot get the thing to restart no matter what I do. Uh, can we no, see I, mean, uh, I think we've covered most of the information there, so I don't know if you want to call it a close there. or I've got a two more quick questions on my list. Yeah. I'm just... Yeah, I'm just so don't know why the fuck I can't get this to work. Uh, the podcast doesn't have to have vision, does it? <laughs> uh, I have I can't begin to understand what is actually happening with this. Deeply, deeply frustrating. Um, sorry, I'm just breathing so I don't smash this camera. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was blessed, mate. You'll feel better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I suppose yeah. I'll just ask the cliched question uh, to the end for the end the end of this, uh, which I think you've answered before. Uh, but I suppose we'll have probably changed. Um, but yeah, what what does the future hold for you? Uh, for what for Cedar Future? For you, for Cedar Future, yeah. Oh uh, well, who knows in this crazy world <laughs> what the future holds, but. Yeah, we're, we're just going to keep doing what we do, keep fighting for people's rights. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do, I, I'm, I had a bit of time out last year, uh, you know, like I had to like sort of reflect on some things, but, you know, I'm, I'm full steam ahead this year and I've got some feelings that some big things are going to happen this year. Uh, there are things in the pipeline that I can't really discuss more for confidentiality in like um, because it's involved in a legal structure. Uh, but there are some going to be some big events happening this year that could change things quite dramatically. But it's, you know, like any of these things, you know, there's so many variables. It's complicated. Uh, we don't know, but, you know, we're going to give it our best shot and uh, see if we can get some laws changed and uh, help people. But... As I said, you know, anybody out there listening, you know, we're here to help you. So, you know, please don't feel, you know, please do get in touch if, if you need it. So, um, yeah. Nice, nice. Thank uh, Yeah. Good summation. Good little teaser for people. Um, yeah. Hopefully, obviously, like you say, the, uh, the various things that you're working on will sort of uh, materialize into something, you know, meaningful and purposeful within the space. And just, yeah, give us all a bit more breathing room, a bit more of an opportunity to just live our fucking lives without mm. the fear of, you know, the kosh, the siren, the cop. It, it shouldn't be this way. And like I've sort of re said to reiterate, or as I've said previously, and to continually reiterate, um, yeah, just leave us the fuck alone. Yeah. Stop trying to build an industry on top of us until you've given us freedom. 
then come and build your industry. Then we'll show you if you're worthwhile via our fucking wallets. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, I think we've just got to keep keep pushing and keep pushing and looking at all different angles and we will get there in the end. I mean, you know, you look, you look at the global changes, uh, you know, you look at what's happening in like Germany and Switzerland and Malta and, you know, everywhere. I mean, it, it, like the whole, the, the legal structures are changing globally. So, you know, it's inevitable that it's going to hit the UK at some point, but it's, it's I think from my perspective, it's making sure it's done, like we were discussing before, in the right way and not... To, not for the industry, not for commercialism, but for the people and for what the people need. And that's really important. And that's what we've always got to keep in mind. Exactly. It's what you sort of alluded to before with the essential medicines is that the state cannot provide access. The private sector cannot provide access. We need to be given an opportunity to provide for ourselves. Yeah. The NHS is crumbling apart and, you know, there, there isn't going to be an NHS. You know, they're bringing in all these hubs now. It's all going to be online, the NHS. And, you know, they're bringing out all these vaccines for everything. Uh, and, you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's crumbling. You know, I mean, you just look at all the, the strikes going on. You know, there, there isn't an NHS. You know, the workers are disgruntled. They can't cope with the, the lack of resources. And, you know, that's going to hit ahead at some point. So... Really, I mean, and the NHS as well, they're, they're actually advocating for autonomy of health for patients. They say it has to be patient-centred. So if, if a patient, you know, decides actually this is the best route for me, there, sh- there shouldn't be interference from the state, especially with the economic and cultural issues at the minute. So, you know, people should be able to just, you know, decide, oh, you know, I mean, we, we me and my wife, you know, we take a lot of uh, supplements. Um, we look after our own health. And, you know, if we, if we think our immune system is down, we'll use like an olive leaf extract or something rather than going and getting some pharmaceutical. So, you know, there's, there's no difference really. You know, we should be able to look at it. It's, it's nutrition and it's, and, it's, and it's medicine cannabis. So, you know, we should be able to use it like a, like a brassica vegetable. Yeah, exactly that. And I think that brings it back to sort of the, the descheduling of the plant. And the assumption should be that cannabis is anything but a drug because it's a myriad of other functions and potential applications mean that it is everything other than a drug. It's They just can be a drug. It's not to say that cannabis is a drug. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Fucking paracetamol is a drug. Do you know what I mean? But it's the acacia tree. You can derive then a set of fin or whatever it is from it that then makes it. You, do you know what I mean? So... You, the, 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 what I'm saying is basically the two separate things. So we should be left to, in the same way we can produce our own sort of uh, medications or use botanical extracts in nature. Uh, the same should then be be true of, of of cannabis, as we say. It's it's an absurdity that we have had to prove that it has medicinal value, and then now we're being fucking what taxed effectively as part of a racketeering scheme to pay to be protected. That's yeah. that, I wish I could show, I could show like the kind of the face I'm pulling right now to go along with that. I'm not being slightly sarcastic, but also that's interpretable as to what the situation is right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, there wouldn't be an industry if it wasn't for the community and the campaigners who have been working so hard for decades and, and, and you know, ignoring the laws and like, you know, fighting for the plant. There wouldn't be a CBD industry. There wouldn't be a medical cannabis industry, you know? like it's 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 the people who are the pioneers and who have like got to where we are so you know we have a right to be able to utilize that plant 
Hundred percent, brother. Hundred percent. And I think uh, as my frustration rises into a fucking crescendo, we'll call the podcast there because I'm going to lose my shit with this camera. Um, <laughs> I've really enjoyed uh, this this conversation, brother. Yeah, uh, yeah. For all for all of my frustration with my technology, I think it's been very insightful. I think we've yeah we've really kind of hammered home um, about sort of legal the legal medical defense uh, for prescription consumers. Um, yeah, gone into a lot of the nuance and just again, just shown the, the fallacy, the fucking hypocrisy of all of this. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'll include links to website and papers and stuff below. Um, and yeah, anyone wants to fire donation your way, I think it's a brilliant thing to do so because it's like you said, the fact that you're helping uh, for free with people at a time when even the clinics are sending people towards you um, just just shows the validity of the work that you're doing. Thanks. One last thing I'd like to mention, actually, um, if you, if you yeah. follow us on, on social media, on Facebook or anything, uh, we did actually publish an online patient survey for um, patients with prescriptions um, a week or two ago. We've only had like 25 responses, but it's really important because it's gathering data on, you know, the different discriminatory effects people are having in public, being pulled by the police in the street, but also it's got quite a few questions into driving. You know, there is an option on there to put your email in, but please don't feel that you have to. It's your option. We're not actually going to keep that data anyway. Uh, just for data protection uh but you know it, it will gather it's, it's all confidential the questions but mm. you know the more people can fill this in who either have a prescription at the moment or had a prescription and no longer have one for whatever reason uh please do fill it in because the more data we can collect we can use that in our training for the police we can use it in litigation with government departments so it's important it only okay. takes five minutes of your time yeah, if you drop me the specific link as well, I'll include that in the bio below so people can Brilliant. find that wherever they're listening or watching this uh, podcast. So, yeah, again, greatly appreciate the work that you're doing, brother. Um, hopefully it won't be another 12 months before you have a back on again. Uh, like I said, once this kind of salacious little secret of yours can kind of come to light, I think it'd be great to uh, to get you on the podcast and discuss sort of what's happening there because yeah. I agree. I think there is scope for some real movement uh, for once in this space. Yeah, cool. Brilliant. Thank you very much, brother. Sweet. Peace. It's been a, been a pleasure. I will let you get off and I'll do a bit of housekeeping. <laughs> cool. All right. Cheers. All right. Peace. Bye. Peace. <laughs> I don't know why I expected to see my face there. I just went a big screen and it's darkness. Um. Yeah, let's just quickly wrap this up then, folks. I apologize for whatever is going on with my equipment. I think the gremlins that have been living under my desk for the past several months have probably finally chewed through a fucking wire or two. Um, apologies for my frustration uh, with this technology. I will hopefully have this fixed for next week's episode, which will feature... I don't know. Somebody good. I'm sure it'd be good. It'd be very good. Uh, see, I even had to make your own paper rustling sound there because you can't see the action. So how can I be funny with no fucking camera here? Um, this, must, what, what, this must be what it's like to just be an audio listener um, for all my video folk out there. I like I said, yeah, I apologize. We'll get back to uh, both formats for next week. If you've enjoyed this very frantic and uh, technologically fucking frustrating episode, please do like, share, subscribe. Uh, you know, we're nearly there to our thousand subs. Closer and closer every week we get. So, yeah, please do um, give it a subscribe. And, yeah, if you really enjoyed it, check us out on patreon.com forward slash the simple life where you can help keep the lights on in this little project and clearly now help me fund a new fucking camera for this little project of mine. All right, folks. Uh, 
I'm completely exhausted with frustration and I will leave you to next week. I hope you found something meaningful, purposeful, entertaining, informative within this week's podcast. Check out Guy and all the links below. I'll see you next week, folks. Peace and love. I even did the peace sign there. There's a peace sign. 